Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. What's that old Bob Dylan song? And the times, they are a-changin'. Well, that is for sure an understatement. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest-running program on Carolina business, policy, and public affairs seen each and every week across North and South Carolina for more than 30 years now. Thank you for supporting. And in case you haven't noticed, this is our first time back in the studio in almost two years. We are excited about it. We're also excited to talk to ladies and leadership, specifically the leaders involved in public education in the Carolinas. That dialogue starts now. Stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Molly Spearman, South Carolina Superintendent of Education, and Catherine Truitt, North Carolina Superintendent of Education. Welcome to our program. Uh, welcome back to a live dialogue. <laughs> this is kind of crazy, isn't it? Ladies, thank you so much, your honors. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, uh, Superintendent Spearman, you know, I always want to say Secretary of Education. I don't know what that is, and you've always been gracious about it, Madam S uh, Superintendent. So, Ms. Spearman, let's start with you. This whole, uh, everything we've come through the last two years has seemed to, and of course this is my term, seemed to make education, public education, almost a hot mess. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, funding and, and uh, you know, check the boxes. So. Um, Superintendent Spearman, when we look back five years from now, what is going to be changed when we get through what we're going through? What do you think it's going to look like? Well, you're right. It has been very difficult. Um, I think when we look back, the biggest changes um, are going to be around uh, virtual education. For us, uh, it really fast-forwarded uh, great improvement in broadband expansion. So that was the lemonade out of, out of this catastrophe, <laughs> that it really brought all of our people to the table to expand uh, broadband access across South Carolina wow. to, to families. And the number one priority was to do that so that students could have online capability. And so, so that's really been a good thing. Uh, we saw our virtual school that we run through the Department of Education, the access went up and we currently have over 56,000 students taking a course in our program, which prior to the pandemic was running somewhere around 25,000, so almost double. Uh, same with our charter programs, they've grown. Um, the other thing for us as far as um, 
the academic piece and the instructional piece is really honing in on what the priority academic standards. For us in South Carolina, we, we had been knowing <laughs> and had failed to really do much about it, but we had so many standards, we did not go deep enough. Our teachers cried out and said, you have got to fix that. So during that first summer, we really worked to prioritize our academic standards mm -hmm. to say, these are the things you've got to teach. Not so wide, but really let's go deep and, and focus on these things so that students can be prepared as they move up. And we've done a lot of work in that area now, making sure those are aligned to our assessments. But um, I think more focused instruction and the use of virtual uh, programming mm -hmm. will be the things that have really changed for us. There are other things, but I'll leave some for Catherine. <laughs> Please. I totally agree with, with your assessment, especially around the virtual piece. Um, and the legislature has um, mandated that DPI do a study on virtual learning and so that we, it will lead to a policy around um, the amount of time a student can spend in virtual learning or attend virtual academies, et cetera. I think it's going to be very easy if we're not careful to slip back <clears throat> into the way we've always done things like, as, as we're coming instance, out of this pandemic. Right. Well, um, I, I think that, that this pandemic has really highlighted how quickly workforce changes and I, I think that the pandemic has also revealed the mismatch that we have in terms of the, the education that our citizens have versus the jobs that are available. And we, that was a problem before the pandemic that's been exacerbated by the pandemic and we can't afford to um, just go back to doing things the way we were before. We have too many students who graduate from high school, mm -hmm. but then don't go on to get any kind of post-secondary credential of marketplace value. And that's something that we really need to focus on. Changing. Okay, yeah. so that's not specific to the pandemic though. That's, that's part of the DNA of the system, isn't it? Well, I think that the great resignation for, has, has a lot to do with this. Our workforce shortages have definitely been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, but the rate of change that mm -hmm. we saw before the pandemic definitely has, you know, you're right, the pandemic hasn't changed that, but automation, AI, mm -hmm. uh, machine learning, all of that is continuing to speed up change and K-12 is not keeping up with that change. Let me just pick out one thing on the whole idea that we seem like, and many hospitals did this at the beginning of the pandemic and, and COVID, but businesses are this way too, and that's they've been in fight or, float, fight or flight mode and triaging is the best mm. way. Uh, Ms. Spearman, do you feel like you're past the triage mode that you're doing business or is this still? We had hoped to be. Uh, I think all of us, as we worked for our academic recovery plans, all of our districts, we, and each state is so similar in this, but uh, our districts prepared academic recovery plans after we really assessed and saw how far behind and how much learning 
needed to take place and accelerated. So we had our recovery plans ready to go when school started this year. It was going to be a normal year, and oh boy, it has not been normal. Right. <laughs> While we we have had our schools open five days a week, but the the illness of staff, of bus drivers, of, of students, it has been a difficult semester. So lots of the plans and the inconsistency. <laughs> you know, I, when people ask me, how, the, what's the rule of being a good parent? You know, it's always be consistent, be consistent. Same in education, be consistent. Yes. And it's been very, very difficult to run a consistent program. We've tried really hard. Um, and I would, I sort of going back to our first uh, question with mm -hmm. you, I think the other piece of this that has, that we are in triage is the emotional support um, that we are having and need to give the mental health of our teachers, of our students, is an area that we've always been involved with, but the dynamic need for that now. Uh, as, our as our children and teachers are coming back to work and they've experienced such trauma over the last mm -hmm. two years and dealing with that, whereas it used to be uh, a side uh, function of schools, now it has to be really central uh, to, to our work. So it's a new area that we're trying to expand working with the Department of Mental Health, but to provide that emotional support and, and mental health support to our community that in a way that we've never had to do before. Just taking a sidebar on that, uh, Mr. how do you not get just completely overwhelmed or, and it's my term again, how do you not get discouraged by the, ins it, it, it's a big job, it was a big job in normal times, but now as Madam Spearman just talked about, it's an even bigger job emotionally. How do you personally not get discouraged? <laughs> well, I do get discouraged. Um, but I have an amazing team around me who um, lift, they, they lift me up every day. I also spend time in schools and that is always the cure for feeling discouraged. Um, my favorite is to go into a, a kindergarten classroom and, and see what's, what's happening there and see the babies and, um, and, and how much they love on their teachers. and. I, I'll tell you one thing that was very encouraging to me um, was this past summer when we um, had mandatory summer school for for schools had to offer summer school, uh, voluntary for um, parents to send their children there. 86% um, of students who attended summer school in North Carolina were identified at risk. So it really served those students who needed to be served. But what was even more special is that we thought for sure that we wouldn't have the, the, the teachers to staff it. And what we heard when, everywhere that we went was, yes, we have enough teachers. Mm -hmm. Teachers said, I'm tired, but I need to see my, my kids through. This is like an extension to the school year. And I need to come alongside my children and stay with them until summer school okay. ends. It was oh, just amazing. I want to get, we're going to get back to teachers and worker shortage and things like that, but I want to come back to something you also said, the idea of educational attainment and what happened last year and how during the 2021 calendar year, almost 1920 calendar year, also there was a lot of hand-wringing about educational attainment. 
almost uniform chorus was gravely concerned about it. Are you as concerned now looking back on it and what are the solutions to catch kids back up? I'm still very concerned. And for us, uh, I'm gonna guess, maybe it's the same in North Carolina, but from the interim assessments that we have done with, which are really, uh, you know, quick turnaround on the assessments, formative or interim assessments throughout the year, it looks to us that our A and B students, the kids who are highly motivated, held their own. They had the support mm -hmm. that they needed if they were virtually or either they were back in school face to face and they were getting that help from the certified teacher in, in the classroom. But the children who were already struggling, our C, D, F, students who are already behind, who lived and in most of, a lot of them in poverty, uh, many of our uh, communities of color, African-American, Hispanic communities where the pandemic really hit their, their uh, folks the hardest. Those students were the ones who were at home virtually who probably didn't have the support and maybe not even the really good broadband access like they should. They have really struggled. And we're seeing them where they may have been a year behind now, a year and a half, up to two years behind. So time on task is the way to fix that. Uh, having them with very rigorous uh, expectations, but at the same time keeping them mm -hmm. engaged. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do. I, and I, it's not gonna, it's not gonna we're not gonna recover this school year. It's gonna take a while of summer school, extra time on tasks, after school activities, more interventions. Those are all the kinds of things that we're doing to fix this issue. But I am very, very concerned about it when I, when I see those assessments. Do you, do you think students are gonna recover? I, I think that we are just now at the beginning of learning what the true impact of school closures in this pandemic have been. Um, North Carolina will be presenting um, to the state board next week, I'm sorry, in March, first week of March, our um, study. DPI to the, uh, state the board? Yeah, the Department of Public Instruction will present to the state board um, a report on learning loss specific to North Carolina's children, research done in North Carolina. Um, and alongside of that, uh, as Superintendent Spearman mentioned earlier, we're just now getting a handle on the uh, mental health impacts of the pandemic, uh, for, for especially for students who lived in poverty. We've been hearing stories of students who were isolated for the entire time that schools were closed, that they were isolated in their community or isolated in their home. And so I, I do think that we've, got some work to do in terms of really drilling down to see mm -hmm. what what the specific lingering impacts will have been in addition to um, mm -hmm. the, the academics. I agree with, with your assessment of a year or two behind. Uh, I think that's, we're looking, our, our data is um, going to show um, growth and achievement of our students by mode of instruction. So we'll mm -hmm. be able to look and see, did students who were face-to-face, -face, cause it will look different across the right, state. Right, um, sure. Were students who were face-to-face, -face, did they fare better than students who were in a hybrid model, for Can you example. give us, a, is there a sneak peek that would be appropriate about those findings you're gonna report? Um, no, because it's not finished yet. Okay. But um, I will certainly send you a copy 
please. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Uh, well, so what do you think the long-term effects would be of these, these kids, whether they advance quickly or don't? When you look out five and 10 years, what's the, what's the knock-on effect to the lost educational attainment <laughs> of last year? Who knows? I, I, yeah. I, it's hard to predict. Uh, I think we have got to really concentrate on engaging these students and their families. Uh, to, Do they want to be engaged? So, I, I, sure. <laughs> not a, there's not a parent or a grandparent I've ever met that they don't want their child to exceed, but I'll give you a quick story. Uh, a teacher told me this, or actually a, a coach who the superintendent asked him, this is a very rural area, I won't identify, but we gotta go knock on doors. We've gotta, we've gotta really encourage these folks to send their children back to school. Mm -hmm. uh, this was an African-American grandmother, 80 years old, who was taking care of five grandchildren. She was raising those children. And Ms. Smith, you know, your kids need help. Oh yeah, she said, they're, they're doing this, this work on computers, but uh, well, what do you do if they need help? Well, you know, I can't help them. Well, we send them back to school. She said, well, if I send them back to school and they bring the virus home and I get sick and pass away, who's gonna take care of them? So that was the fear, mm -hmm. that was the fear. And it wasn't a lack of understanding, but the real fear of the virus. So we've got to really continue, and, I, and the public needs to understand, it's gonna, we're not going to recover from this in one year. It's gonna take two or three years, I think, and I think with extra work, time on task, as I said before, dedicated teachers working with those families that we can bring them forward. Uh, I hope it won't be a lifetime mm -hmm. impact. I hope it's something that we can recover, but I think it may take an extra year or two with some of these children to get them there. Uh, some kids are gonna be fine. <laughs> uh, as you said before, as because I said of the before, But yeah. uh, this is going to be a concentrated effort. And for us, most of it is out in our rural areas who already need extra help. So, Superintendent Truitt, so as you try to assess how long it'll take, what the measure is, who needs what, are the same old tools you've used for educational accountability? Are they, do they still apply? Is that changing? <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> so our, our this testing- This was not a plant, by the way. <laughs> I know you didn't give me that. Our testing and accountability model, as, as with South Carolina, um, we have a state accountability model and a federal accountability model. They, in North Carolina, they are the same. Um, and that accountability model is an algorithm that takes an 80% achievement, in other words, how did kids do on high stakes end of grade testing, and 20% growth. How far did a teacher move a group of students from here to here? And so it weights 80% achievement, 20% growth, and it spits out a school report card letter grade. And that is how we measure school quality. And I ran my campaign one of my campaign platforms was changing the school accountability model. And that was pre-pandemic. It's especially true today. We cannot continue to define school quality solely on those two measures. You, do you trust the, um, uh, the integrity of that model enough that's gonna guide you going forward? The integrity of the model I would like or the integrity of the model we have? Well, both, actually. Well, the, 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 I mean, the model that we have right now, it, it, it has integrity in its own way, but it's not adequate. 
And it's, it's not adequate when we have um, the high numbers of students we do. And by the way, we have an 87% high school graduation rate, but only 31% of students are attaining a credential of marketplace value by the time they're 24. Is that a real-time statistic, or was mm -hmm. that two, from two years ago? Or um, that what, was pre-pandemic. Okay. So it's probably worse now. Yeah. Um, only 23% of kids in North Carolina get a four-year degree by the time they're 24 years old. So I, I think that we need to have a, an accountability model that measures, yes, achievement and growth, but other things as well. Is a school ensuring that, that students take advantage of college and career promise, where they can take free community college courses while they're still in high school? Um, are they engaging in after-school tutoring to help kids get, get caught up at, at any grade level? Um, what kind of community involvement? Um, uh, chronic absenteeism—that is absolutely that something. That has to be through the roof. Yes, of and course. and and parent um, parent satisfaction surveys yeah. should be part of school quality as well. Um, Secretary Spearman, or Superintendent Spearman. That's fine. I don't Just know why I have that in my head. <laughs> so, um, Same question, but do you have now the wind at your back, so to speak, when it comes to? See, this is why we need to redefine what quality education is. Do you have that now? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think same, same situation. We have only 6% of our 9 through 12 students who complete a completer. That means they've been in the CTE program, career technology, working on a credential, uh, which that's great, but we need to improve on those numbers. So more access, more... Um, uh, understanding by parents and grandparents of why this is important mm. and why we need to push our children toward to find that pathway that that keeps them engaged uh, and we know when we can do that with our with our high school to students if they get involved in a career technology program our graduation rate goes from the mid 80s to 95 percent they will they will graduate high school not only do they graduate they graduate with a credential in hand and can move right into the workforce or into post-secondary training in that specific area so for us it's about enhancing those programs across the state making more access for rural students and again back to the old districts get out of this idea that you're competing with the neighboring district or school, but you're sharing your services. If you have a program here that a student over in the neighboring district cannot get, allow them to come and take part. So we've started to see that kind of cooperation between schools and school districts, particularly in our rural area. And not to put words in your mouth, Madam Superintendent, but you intentionally have been consolidating and suggesting consolidation among school districts. Absolutely. As part of our Abbeville uh, versus South Carolina exactly. settlement, uh, the ruling said, now, rural districts, yes, we believe the state needs to put more money in your areas, which they have done, but you need to come up with some solutions. And so when I was elected in 2015, we did a an efficiency study on districts by the Alvarez company and, and the recommendations came back, rural districts, you have got to start sharing services. You've got to start working together. It's not a competition between one mm -hmm. neighborhood and the next. It's about 
access for all students and giving them those opportunities that they need. So I'm really proud to say in my eight years of service, uh, as of July 1 of this year, we will have had 14 districts in South Carolina not only share services, but consolidate their administrations into one district. So uh, it's not immediate changes, but I think for the foundation right. and the sustainability of those areas, we've got to look at those type and we, programs. We have a minute and a half left, actually a minute left. Uh, Superintendent Truitt, is that a tactic for North Carolina to encourage and lead consolidation of school boards? No, I don't. I don't believe or so. School districts. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. No, that that's not really on on the radar right now. I I think that um, what what I would love to see and what I talk about frequently is as what you're describing is that they're all our kids, right? That's right that's they're right. all our kids, and so I'd like to see. Um, uh, and we do have this in some districts. Do a very good job of this. Um, charter school leaders working with uh, local principals, private school folks working with the, the, the neighborhood public school, homeschool families getting services from, from the school. They're all our students and it's very unusual that a student would um, not at some point in their K-12 journey have been touched by either a, 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 they may have been homeschooled and then they go on to a charter school or okay. they uh, go from a charter school to a traditional public high school. Okay. So it's all part of the same ecosystem. We're gonna give you a chance to unpack this a little bit more. We didn't talk about school violence. We didn't talk about teachers, <laughs> shortages, workforce, etc. We're gonna have a chance to do that. Thank you both ladies for staying safe and being here. Uh, and next week we will have part two of this dialogue as we unpack even more. Uh, we hope you stay with us. Again, if you'd like to watch this program, you can online. Any past programs at carolinabusinessreview.org. Until next week, I'm Chris Williams. Stay safe and thank you. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.